Hello, everyone. My name is Shane Petkowitz. Welcome to another episode of Zero. Very excited to have Jacqueline Omanya join us, uh, uh, join the episode today. Uh, she has been doing a fantastic work over the last 30 years at this point, uh, trying to infuse uh, sustainability into her academic curriculum. And actually, for the last five years, she has been working on developing a zero waste classroom um, with her students uh, and, and been developing that curriculum and that idea and concept um, for almost half a decade at this point, which has been super exciting to learn about and, and hear about her insights and really how that ties together into the work that she's doing to try to develop uh, climate literacy, both for her uh, students, but then also for her general uh, school in general and, and school district. And so that's been really fun to hear about the exciting progress and the exciting enthusiasm and motivation that a lot of these students show in terms of trying to make some significant change in terms of reducing waste in their lives. So it was a great episode. Uh, it was really exciting and, and, and impactful to learn about the work that she's doing uh, and that the students are doing as well. And so uh, just to recap, she has uh, is currently an ed environmental educator in the Berkeley schools in California and has been in, in education for over 30 years. Um, she has taught generations of young people the value of organic farming, farming and the principles of protecting and honoring Mother Earth uh, and by working together. Uh, and so, as I mentioned, she's <clears throat> had a zero waste class and has reduced the waste that the classroom generates down to one mason jar. Uh, she's worked with students on developing these waste free challenges. They actually worked on developing a, a zero waste uh, ordinance. Um, with the city of Berkeley um, in 2019 and have been advocating for the passage of climate literacy resolutions for their school system. Uh, she has won a number of uh, green educator awards um, and she also runs a chapter of Heirs to Our Oceans, uh, which connects youth from around the world in an effort to protect the oceans. Uh, and she hopes to bring this work to the Caribbean where she has roots. So. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I did, and uh, hope you enjoyed. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about the way that I um, do it is it's not top down. So every year I ask the students, you know, if they have an interest, these days they do because there's a history in the school of my class being the waste-free class. Um, but still kind of put it out there as a question. Is this something they want to do and what would that mean? So they have like between themselves, they have a discussion and they, we come up with agreements, like class agreements for it. Um, and they vary every year. I mean, there's some, some tenants that stay the same, like like making no landfill trash. Um, we try to, it tries not to use plastic. So we use real forks, spoons, and cups. Um, it tries to recycle and compost. Um, these are ones, I'm just reading them from a, another list we had on a previous year. It, it practices rethinking, reusing, and refusing. And it practices studies about being a sustainable person. This year, they had one that, um, we would teach others. And I found that super fascinating. So for that reason, this year, we have 
And then we discussed who would those others be? And we decided they should be the youngest members of our school because then there's like this school life potential in that. So we have kindergartners as buddies this year and it's been very impactful, um, you know, having that relationship of the oldest students with the youngest students. I can imagine that. And that those are, it, it, they, the goals they in themselves seem like they're taking a very holistic view. You know, you're touching on different aspects of it. And so for the students that, and maybe now because you've incorporated the program for a few years, there may be a little bit more aware what zero waste is, but for the student that enters your class on day one, is zero waste in their vocabulary? Is it something that they're aware of? Is it starting from a blank slate? Um, well, we have, in Berkeley, we have incredible diversity of backgrounds and exposure to ideas. So for some, I mean, I have one student, which I've never had before. We usually do cultural reports at the beginning of the year. And um, this year, Ludo stood up and he talked about his family traditions. And one of his family traditions, he said, was using a clothesline. And I thought that was just remarkable how he expressed that as part of his culture. Um, I believe his mom is from Australia and um, just the way that he embraced it as, as like a valuable tradition um, was very interesting. And then I have other students who remind me that they'd never heard of zero waste before. And um, they're very excited to be in a zero waste classroom. Um, the very most interesting thing to me, because I don't do this with any force, let it, the, the ease with it, with which it becomes very natural for the students. So that said, like any day, like a chip bag could ruin our project or anything could ruin our project, but there's kind of a deeper understanding connection that happens between them that everybody buys into it, like the team spirit piece. Um, and it's happened every year for all these years. So I find that very interesting. It's just about changing a culture and changing a mindset and kind of a type of spiritual connection in a goal that develops in our class. And that's amazing to see that community that develops because as you mentioned, it's not only the I guess what it sounds like is not only in the, the instruments or the tools that you use in the classroom, you want them to be plastic free or, or waste free, but also the students have uh, reusable forks or cutlery or snacks and foods, right? So it really takes a huge, uh, well, maybe not a huge effort, but it does take effort from everyone's part to be able to contribute to this, this goal. And you set a goal of like a tr uh, yeah, enough trash for the whole year to fit within a mason jar, right? Yeah, this group is trying to go down to the one pint, pint jar. Um, it was kind of interesting what you just said, because in one way, like the students asked me, are we still doing it? Pierce said, are, are we still doing the zero waste classroom, Miss Amanya? Because it doesn't feel effortless, which is interesting. So I asked the, the class, are we still doing it? And they were like, yeah. And then I was like, why, why is why is it not seem so, or why doesn't it feel like any effort? And then another student said, um, or you spoke up and it's because you set us up. And so I asked her, what does that mean? I set you up. So they have reusable pencil tins. Um, they're little metal tins. We work with a group called Wisdom School Supplies. And so I saw resources there. We use pencils that can be composted 
Um, this year we've tasted, we've tested five different ones from newspaper rolled pencils to um, pencils. They're all unpainted, but pencils that are made of like, it's called a renew line that the Ticonderoga, the normal, the standard pencil company makes unpainted ones, eco enviro sticks. And then there are the renew line, which is like waste wood that's being scrapped into pencils. Um, there's only one American pencil factory to who we are testing them out. So anyways, they have, they have the, the reusable pencils, the reusable, not the reusable, the compostable pencils, the tins, um, and, you know, paper folders. We have a minimum amount of stuff. So it's just kind of easier that way. Sure. And it's, it, I'm sure it's funny to think about that as part of your role in, in teaching zero waste. You're now learning about pencil supply chains in the U.S., right? <laughs> well, that um, takes us, yeah, to the next level. I mean, that's like every year is completely different for me um, in how we do this journey towards zero waste. Um, and this year, we're trying to understand production and the students are going to have a, a challenge, a design challenge where they try to create a product that, and know its impact both on the environment and uh, social impact. So, and it kind of came about in that we thought we were so great with our pencils, which could be composted in the end. And we realized that the California cedar trees were being shipped to China, processed into pencils and shipped all the way back. So we were just thinking of like, what kind of imprint does that make? And that's for us to get like 12 pencils for $3. But if we want the American made pencils where everything stays here, we have to pay $10. So we're just like discussing the values behind these decisions. And maybe $10 is the price we should be paying if we want to take care of you know, people and planet. That's incredible. And what, what are the students saying? Are so they the students, well, we're just in the initial stages of this because I'm still teaching the front end of things like the products, they'll be in teams. They'll need to know the. they'll need to create a product that has some like, should I put it, goodness in it. We're going to being led by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. There's like 17 of them. So perhaps in your product, you choose to meet like three, like perhaps it improves the, the lives of girls and women, or perhaps it reduces ocean plastic pollution, whatever you choose in the, in those um, sustainable development goals will be guiding your product design. Um, and I'm not sure if I said this, but they need to um, present where, where it's made, how it's made, by whom, and the whole product life cycle, where it's going as well, transportation costs. So what students are doing, I mean, we haven't plunged in yet, but I can see I have two students very interested in the potential of mushrooms, and they've been researching mushrooms um, this school year. For me, I use the writing program, the literacy program, to augment these environmental studies. So we just did um, the first, the mid-year one around December, January, it's information. And I had two students do the deep dive into mushrooms for their information piece. And right now, and I, as a class, I present different topics, but this year it was the plastic pollution problem. And so we all learned the same facts for the plastic pollution problem. 
and those I can draw on for their their newest genre right now, which is persuasion. So we're currently working persuading our school district to not our school district per se, but our, our individual school, because it is happening in our school district, but it's not happening at our school, that we move from single use plastic disposables to reusables in their lunch um, meals, breakfast and lunch meals. Understood. I think what I'm getting a sense of, and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is you're overlaying this typical curriculum for it's fifth grade students, right, in this instance, right? Yeah, so fifth grade students with so much uh, level, so much climate literacy, right? Really the in-depth understanding of where these materials are being flowing in. You're thinking about sustainable development goals, aspects of, of social aspects of how these products are made. And in some ways it's also very empowering for these students to be able to learn that, right? So um, can you just speak to that? How, how do they respond when they learn about some of these very large macro challenges that we as a society are facing? Sure. I think you actually just nailed it because that is really my goal in the end. It's not actually so much about the plastics. <laughs> it's, I mean, for, for young children, plastics are tangible. They're, you know, and they can have an impact. It's measurable. Um, so it's just so very real. But the really underlying theme is, is, is empowering them as they come up in this world where they're faced with serious challenges. And how can they begin to work with these challenges, both individually and collectively? And so I just think experiencing that as with a project in the classroom is empowering them and really using their skills, their math skills, their literacy skills to speak up and you know, show their thoughts and their visions for the world. And just having that as part of school for every child, um, I just believe that's important. It's definitely important. And do you, does it ever get overwhelming? Um, well, I have a little way I do it. So it's not, over, I mean, the problem is overwhelming. I actually try to emphasize less on the problem and really showing them a lot of visuals I mean, they, they know these visuals of the birds with the plastic in the stomach and, and, you know, ocean is plastic soup, but we really focus a lot on the solutions. And so I'm presenting it as for the students to see themselves as solutionists and the way they can see themselves, like this is a challenge and together we can overcome this. And there's so much potential and so much good happening right now. And because of technology and the level that science has gotten to, we are all more interconnected with that knowledge and we can grow these solutions together. Um, and the solutions, they might be speaking out. And so I just show them different young people speaking out like Shizcatel Martinez and he's how he's speaking out about connection to the earth and sort of the way of the future and basically returning to this native view of nature having a voice and we need to protect the, the nature. Um, and then there are young people creating things, you know, using seaweed, using mushrooms, um, that kind of technological innovation. So we're just exploring all these um, happenings together and they bring exciting ideas to me. I 
child showed, uh, showed up with like this notebook made with stone paper, like round up rocks. And, and I get, it's, it's a lot of fun. I get incredible gifts of, you know, rolls of paper towels, but they're not paper towels and they're cloth. And so whenever people see things, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we bring that, it's a shared space um, that we talk about these issues. And we've also gone to incredible, gone to a zero waste store and just explored what that looks like. I think it's very powerful for just every student to be exposed to these ideas. Absolutely, and I think you provide this platform within with which to create these solutions in their own communities. And I was so impressed, I was watching videos that so I think some of your students were speaking at, a, at the city council meeting uh, to try to pass a number of ordinances, one of which was uh, to ban, I think, single-use plastics at schools. If I, is that correct? Actually, we worked with, well, we first wanted to reach out about this plastic problem. Our school district was more difficult to work with. So we worked with the city because there was a group forming that was working to change city laws. And the law is called the Disposable Free Dining and Litter Reduction Ordinance. And so we had a coalition of people working together and we worked with the Ecology Center. Um, and first collecting signatures for the ordinance. And then in the end, it was like an 18 month process. And in the end, um, hoping it passed by speaking up and the kids really made it happen. They couldn't say no to them. So, and that all started in the classroom. Like we wrote the essays as part of our school requirement um, and chose which members of our class would speak up at the press conferences and council meetings. So. That ordinance, it actually at the time, and it passed in um, January of 2019, it was the most comprehensive um, dining single-use plastic ordinance in the world at, at that time. Um, it was supposed to go into effect in 2020, and my students were trying. We were like on the streets collecting um, was sharing the information and talking to the public in four different parts of our city to get people to know about the ordinance and support it. And if they had questions or disagreements, just to talk about it. So we were actually in a National Geographic challenge around that issue and we got to the semifinals, but they were canceled because of COVID. <laughs> so um, we're just waiting. The kids are all waiting for this, for the, this to be um, enactable again, because now they're allowing the plastic bags and allowing the, the single use containers. So we don't know when we could go back to trying to do the, the law again. What, well, throughout this process, what has the response been from the school district, from the city, from the public? Well, the city, the, I mean, the law passed and the youth, I mean, they got honored by the city. The kids are growing older <laughs> this all time. So these are third graders that I had. They're now in seventh grade, the group that I've been working with. I also lead a chapter called Heirs to the Oceans. And that's sort of the container that I work with them through after they live, leave my class. They could be part of an advocacy group. Um, so what's happened since then, they passed the laws. We um, are working continually with our school district, with the nutrition services and the youth are speaking out about um, moving to a reusable way and just highlighting the amount of toxics in the plastics, the problems with plastic production and 
their visions for their schools to be like the kids to be shown what a better way is while they're at school. So sort of the values impact of moving to reusables um, is some of the topics that they're speaking out on at the moment. Um, besides that, they've also, because, so as I've, okay, so I started, I was teaching third actually for many years and then just the last three years I'm teaching fifth. So some of the students I've had in third and fifth. So it's kind of accumulates the connection and interest. Um, and I've had students and the oldest students that I'm working with are in 10th grade. And so the 10th grader realized that she had been taught much about these kind of topics since my class, since third grade and all the information she's found was on her own. And so with, with her and with some of the others and with a group of people like thinkers from like Sierra Club and other um, organizations, we have been working to pass and actually have passed the climate literacy resolution for our district. So that happened in November. What does that mean? The climate literacy resolution. It's just a resolution that students from K to 12 will be taught in some way or other, some topics about climate literacy each of their years in their education. The exact way is can happen many different ways. It would, well, you know, still gives teachers um, options for what their interest is in and how they want to approach that. But we're just gonna develop a lot of resources and work with, there's a lot of existing curriculum on that and work on, working on organizing that and just making everything more accessible and usable for, for teachers and then hopefully garner more interest in this topic throughout our district. Yeah, and I'm, I've noticed over the last few years, there's been almost a, a realization that the classroom been wildly successful in generating a zero waste classroom and now it's an opportunity to engage with other stakeholders right so you're talking you mentioned engaging with the kindergartners where the fifth graders can teach kindergartners you're now creating uh, uh, curriculums for other teachers to to implement their own programs i'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to that i'm actually very curious uh, maybe maybe that's a follow-on question about how the students engage with their families uh, when they learn these things and how do they bring that back to the, their homes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a topic that we talk about a lot is how to engage with adults. Um, and I need to let them know that not everybody will think like us and how to be respectful of people's different ideas. Adults are very difficult to work with. I mean, their parents are probably easier than others, but it's because um, we have habits and habits that are hard to change. And the person has to be willing to have a look at their habits to begin to change. So um, I emphasize a lot on staying respectful of people's views and the fact that it might take some time to change. So I do get different responses from parents. Um, usually they're, they're wonderful and it's an exciting new journey that they want to go on with their kids. I mean, there are times that parents feel like it's hard and overwhelming as well because everything you go to the grocery store and so much is packaged in plastic and it's just hard to get around that. Um, so we just talked about picking, say one thing you wanna work on and the easy thing we noticed this year is 
the products that have water in them um, or have to be in plastic. So we are looking just at, in our classroom, we have like the solid dish soap that you could just use a sponge on um, instead of the one with water. They've seen solid toothpaste, they've seen solid shampoo bars. So that's, there, you know, there's always a small way to begin. And I'm just showing them like, or asking them what that might mean or where they want to begin, but it's completely optional, the home piece. I don't put any emphasis on that. We're just really um, try to do it within our space that we have together. Understood. And so. Um, I think one more thing I want. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, please. One more thing I wanted to share is just that my outlook is that we need to make this fun and <laughs> that joy factor keeps us going. So in my class, um, they're allowed to have treats pretty much any time. I mean, we do birthdays. Um, if somebody felt like baking over the weekend and bringing something to the class, they could just do that. Um, the only rule is that has to be waste-free. So we've had incredible parties with so much delicious things that it just makes the journey fun. <laughs> so, um, and that'll probably be our highlight for the year. Our school's now um, around the corner from Rainbow Donuts. And so donuts meet, meet that category because they're just in a cardboard box with no packaging. And so we've had more donuts than I've ever experienced. Um, and what else? We've had a, we had a gift exchange, a Zawadi gift exchange. It was, we covered the principles of Kwanzaa and the Zawadi is when you make homemade gifts. But when they did the homemade gifts, they're not allowed to purchase anything. They just have to use stuff that they have around. And we received the most beautiful presents from one another. So it's just sort of bringing back that kind of way of just, you know, making things by hand and using the resources around you. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's super fun. And keeping it, keeping it fun is, is so important, right? If, you know, you really want to enjoy this process. And so obviously you've done a lot of ways to, to do that. And I'm sure very tasty ways to do that too. <laughs> um, so, and how have, um, you, you mentioned that you're developing curriculum, right? For, for how do you see this concept of a zero waste classroom spreading to other classrooms? Mm, I think for this to grow. I mean, it has happened a little bit. Um, you know, I have a kindergarten here and I have a friend who teaches kindergarten at another school trying to grow it within her classroom. I mean, it's bits and pieces that happen. I think overall, as I was preparing for this talk, I realized that, I mean, our school is not completely on board, but overall people are changing and there is less waste happening generally. Um, in the school, for example, in our school, teachers have cut from our, our we moved to another location and in the new location, uh, teachers often just have one trash can, which and there were used to be two or three in the other school bin. So it's kind of like the more of those you have them around the room, the more they get filled up. So just that reduction is a good um, impact. Um, but to get real change in this, I think it needs to be included as a topic in teacher education programs, um, this sort of topic of sustainability and climate literacy. And really until that happens, teachers aren't 
changing so quickly because we're under, not because they don't really want to or don't agree with this. It's just, there's just a lot of pressures in teacher, you know, in teaching and we have many requirements to meet. And who, who's responsible for that? Who, who would do that? Oh, changing it is part of the state, the state teacher credentialing programs. I mean, I get to, I get asked to talk at San Francisco State. My friend is teaching the social studies program and this is part of social studies and she invites me and then, you know, I've connected with one person <laughs> who wants to do something like this, but every person counts and it could grow bit by bit. But I foresee that as more school districts are adopting climate literacy resolutions, that this will become part of teacher education. Yeah, that, that would be really exciting to see that uh, scaling on a, on a state level, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, what, uh, what would you see happening over the next, you've done this for five to six years, well, decades now, but a zero waste concept for five to six years. What do you see for the, what would you like to see happen over the next five years? Oh, for our school and specifically, we're trying to get a dishwasher at our school. So really, you know, have children do reusables. I would like children, we kind of have seen how in Japan, the children are fully responsible for cleaning their school, for doing that whole steps with the dishes. So I would like a bit more interaction, um, sort of after lunch, them at least taking what they've used and probably putting it in soap water and, and helping out a bit with the cleanup. Um, and in terms of topics being taught, I don't have any specific recommendations, but it was going to be wonderful when teachers are teaching this, you know, from, from, for all the years of education. Yeah, that's great. Um... And what, I guess, um, I'm curious to learn a little bit about what drew you, because you, for a while you, you called yourself, you were an outside teacher, right? You were developing this, this uh, working on the farm and the garden, then you transitioned to being an indoor teacher. Um, can you just kind of speak to your motivation of being education and the balance between those two things? Oh, for me personally, well, I was just trained as a scientist and my initial idea for myself after college was to work with people to get clean water. Um, but that didn't quite happen. So I started just working as a volunteer in the school garden and it was actually very easy for me to work with the kids. Um, so I had grown up in a large extended family and I was used to being outdoors with a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, just my grandmother had a big land and we'd harvest plums and we'd just do projects um, just in the land. So sharing that with, with children here was wonderful, that experience outdoors. Um, I actually did a master's degree while I was out there with them. And it was all from the children's point of view of what this garden meant to them. A lot of literature is like top down. It's like, you know, we should do such and such and they will learn this and that, but what do they really want in, a, in, an, in an experience? So I looked into that. Um, and after I stayed home with my two kids for five years, I realized that I guess I am in teaching and I should do my regular credentials. So that brought me to the classroom. And then once I was in the classroom, I was my first days pacing back and forth thinking, what have I done? You know, I really belong outside. So 
then I thought, well, I'll just bring the outside in. So, so, you know, we started with caterpillars and different classroom creatures. And um, we also joined a farm, a CSA, and started to receive the CSA box um, as part of our classroom routine. And that I've done for the past, well, COVID shut that down. And this year it was a little tricky with eating. So I've done at least 15 years of having a CSA box um, augment reading and writing in the classroom. Um, Were there other things that you tried to bring the outside into this classroom? No, I think the next step is bringing, taking them outdoors. So that's my other half of things I do is really try to get real experiences together um, for the students outdoors. I mean, this year we focused, um, we've been sailing twice um, and that's so empowering for them to experience the ocean and, or the bay together. And that way we can learn to care and want to make a difference in, in these um, areas. Which is important because you're also involved in Heirs to the Ocean, right? Which is a- Heirs to Our Oceans, yeah. It's, uh, can you just speak to that? Heirs to Our Oceans, it's an international group of young people working together for the health of our oceans. Um, we have you know, large online community, and it really uses kids to speak to other kids. Um, and they learn really well in that manner. And are you, how are you involved in that? Are you, do you lead the- I do a chapter. I do a chapter within um, our school district and it's largely students, it's not limited to, but it's largely students that have been in my class that would like to continue this work. Right, okay, great. Um, I want to speak a little bit about community because it feels like the being able to share, not only teach kids or even adults about some of these very important issues where they then kind of teach and sp spread the word about to other people, whether it's other communities, other classrooms. Um, so in terms, in that spirit, how, what would you say to people listening to say, what can they do? How can they go learn? What can they do to, Take it, you know, take some of these steps that your students have and incorporate zero waste into their life. Mm -hmm. We're good resources. Yeah, I mean, for me, it all started with becoming more informed. Um, and that happened for me, I think it's happened in 2015. I went to a zero waste um, July, plastic free, plastic free July event in our town and it was a film screening. And before then I was feeling fine about putting things in the blue bin, the plastic recycling. And in that um, film screening, they'd put trackers in our trash. And at that time, China was accepting plastics, it's no longer, but it showed me what happened to the plastics that I put in my blue bin from our, from our town. And, they had ended up in China in, there were two different facilities that were shown, the better, the quote, better one and a worser one. And the worser one was in the countryside and the processing um, materials were just going into their waterways there. Um, in the better one, the women worked with their sorting the plastics and you could see the plastics turning into like fine dust in the air and they're sorting them. There's no childcare. So the woman has her toddlers like walking around as she does this and she's got another child tied onto her. 
as she's working. And that made me think it's not ethical for me to teach plastic recycling anymore. Like we just won't be doing that. Um, so in a long story short, um, when my class started that, um, so that was in the fall of 2015, I mean, I didn't share the full details of that, but I just mentioned that it's not happening as we expect and it's happening in other places. So um, what if we just didn't have like, like what if we, well, first, my first year, we actually needed to see what our waste was that we made. So the first year, there's actually YouTube videos on, on our, my classroom, it's called Trash Tales. Um, and they were made, it was made by a kid. So um, Jonah filmed his classmates as we did this journey of um, just collecting our trash and analyzing it. And they loved it. We just like every, we made, I think it was eight bags or six bags that year, the first year. And we would just open them up at different points in time and see what was creating the trash. And mostly it came from parties like Halloween and birthday parties. So that was something we could work on. Um, so that entire first year was just studying our waste. So that's, I mean, in recommending to people um, who want to change, you have to first figure out what is it that you're creating and what are you willing to work on? Um, so after that year, for me, the problem was I was always hiding our trash from the custodian, like the regular custodian knew about the project, but the other ones didn't know and I didn't want him to throw out our projects. So I kept having to hide it, take it out and put it somewhere. And so then the following year, it was just too stressful that way. So then we just started with kind of a bigger container and eventually reduced it to, um, and then actually having a clear container makes it visible, what's the problem? And then you can change that. That's a very funny visual of just actually having to hide the trash so that no one actually would take it out throughout the year. That's, that's quite amusing. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, visualizing, uh, bringing, shedding light and visualizing what's physically in your trash pack is a great first start because people aren't particularly aware of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what's coming a lot up for the kids as they do this, this kind of work is they're noticing that like their pet food containers are quite problematic and we're just like discussing what can be done about pet food because <laughs> there's a lot of single use cans that are being used. So we have, we've done all kinds of things. We did like a weekend project where students had to just collect um, trash from their homes and just bring it in the plastics recyclables like because that's what we were focusing on working on the plastics so we collected the plastics in the classroom and then we tried to sort them by um, what if they're thin if they're harder containers what are they um, just for us to to like see it right in front of us and kind of make some decisions and then we ended up making giant sculptures like whales and other sea animals out of the plastic and having a show at school where students walk through and could see the plastic waste made into things, but also kind of so that they were, they were also like woken up by seeing it directly in front of you. And that exhibit went to the David Brower Center, um, at least the whale in that exhibit went um, for a community display. Very cool. I'm curious, in terms of your teaching process, how do you, how do these, 
I know you've mentioned bottom up a couple of times of trying to engage with the actual students. And so as a matter of, of, of discourse, you come up um, about these ideas together. Do you just have them? Yeah, for me, it's it's total. Like they called me ever since I was in student teaching program. My master teacher called me the snowball approach. Ms. Amanya, it was snowball approach and the snowball is getting bigger. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, because I'm so like my my purpose in teaching is really to listen to them and see what, where's the curiosity and where could I take that? Like how to always be on the edge of their um, interest in learning. For me, that makes teaching exciting. If I knew every day, like it was fixed, that wouldn't be, I love challenges and I love, love the community of excitement together. And that just keeps us going in these like hard problems. We're going to have fun with it and, and see, and see where we can take it. Um, and I really think that that's what the future needs. It needs out of the box thinkers, students, people who can work together with extremely creative new ideas. Um, and just connecting that, we're trying to design like the ideal pencil for our for kids in our town. Everybody uses pencil. Everybody needs one. And the idea they came up with because we're doing we do paper recycling. We have, a, we have you know paper recycling. And how about we recycled the paper in our own town and created the pencils for the kids in our schools. So that's what, where they are at with the thinking. And I think it's really integrating everything that we want to see. We want to see more local production. Um, we want to see looping of resources, like everything has a place to go. Um, and also seeing that it's okay to pay more. Maybe those are the prices, you know, and because when we're paying less, Somebody else is taking up that extra cost, either, you know, with their lives and their health. Yeah, that's a that's a great insight, and I think that that kind of summarizes everything well. Is is trying to lead with a curiosity, um, develop some solutions, but also have fun, right? You want you want to enjoy it. It's got to be everyone has to be enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, every Friday we have a tradition. Um, it's based on the fire. Fire, we call them fire drill Fridays. It's the movement that happened, you know, which Greta started and children around the world are protesting on Fridays, but we do it in our classrooms together. So I usually feature a young activist that we dedicate our, um, our action to, and we have got signs and we sing. <laughs> and our latest song is We Love Louder by Kev Mo, because it really captures our movement and the intersectionality of the of the work of the youth with the older generation and how we can all work together to make a positive difference and them just experiencing community and activism together it's it's really powerful because they become used to that you know in our weeks of school together um you know, we do go out once a month. We go out with our buddies. We have kindergarten. The act, they're activist buddies. So our relationship is based on being together with music and our, our climate signs. And we'll take a walk around the block and then we'll have a discussion of, you know, how it's going or what my, I'm always asking my, my students, my fifth grade students, what they wish they'd known when they were younger, um, when they were five and how that would have changed their relationship with the planet and the ways that they have. That's powerful. And then I'm just curious, so you, you mentioned the singing. So you do you, on Fridays, you go with your buddies and you go and, and 
Well, we sing, we don't sing with our buddies every Friday. We sing amongst ourselves. <laughs> so we have like the 350.org uh, has a song. Um, I'm going to strike for you. We strike for me. And then our second song is Louder by Kebma, which recently came out. So um, yeah, it brings community song does. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't heard that. I'm going to have to go listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Very cool. Um, well, I, I guess I guess just to kind of in closing, what what are some of the challenge, your personal challenges that you're hoping to find solutions to over there? Oh, wait, wait, you just said about resources too. I didn't finish talking about the, the oh, resources. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, what would what could people do? I mean, one is just your personal trash audit and see, you know, what are you creating? What are you willing to work on? Um, other good organizations that have influenced me as a teacher, there's the Plastic Pollution Coalition has a wonderful website with information, videos, a young people section. Another one is Upstream. Um, and we have a video in there, my class is in it. And um, it's Upstream solutions for the downstream problem. So how we can move more to a reuse economy. And there's so much information there. I mean, we haven't even touched on the problems of compostables. So, you know, compostables are not the solution and we really need to move to reuse and a loop system. Um, those are all good sites for young people. The Monterey Bay Aquarium, we've done a lot of work with them. They have a, a plastic pollution summit. Al also, Algalita um, has an excellent program that I've worked with them. We're developed, they have a Wayfinder Society, which is again, it's youth of the world working together against the plastics problem. And I think that's very powerful for my students to know that they're not alone. There's young people everywhere, just, you know, doing their bits and together when we connect, we can become so much more powerful. And good, thing, good things are going to happen, which is so exciting. Like for me, I think the world's gonna look so different when they're older. Um, you know, people will be riding bicycles, delivering, you know, the reusables to places. Um, we, we can do this um, locally and together. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, very empowering to hear not only that these students are doing it, but across the world and that the, their, their voices such as yours that are facilitating that. So um, Jacqueline, I really appreciate your time uh, for, for coming onto the show, um, really learned a lot. And can't wait to see what, uh, how the design competition turns out and, and what next year has to offer. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me to this. And we're just really happy to get the word out. So like I told you, that was one of my students like goals this year. So I feel like I'm participating too by <laughs> talking on your show. So thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the great uh, conversation that I had with uh, Jacqueline. Uh, wealth of resources and super exciting to see the ten tangible uh, impact that she and her students are making uh, at, at various levels, both at their personal life in terms of reducing waste in their own lives uh, with their families at the classroom, also passing these ordinances that are impacting uh, zero waste at the city level and beyond and, and really developing their climate literacy. So 
it was really exciting to hear the, the work that she's doing uh, and how she approaches that with students. And I think uh, I really wanna take that to heart and see what other programs there are there out there now uh, and maybe in your local communities to understand what, how is climate literacy, if at all, a part of the conversation in your school district? Uh, and so that's kind of something I wanna think about for the next week is, is really reach out to some local educators and understand how is climate literacy being uh, taught, if at all. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, we'll see how what we learn. And then thinking back from the previous week with uh, Pascal and uh, the ways we can minimize the extractive impact of sand, uh, sand mining and sand utilization around the world. Very interesting actually um, that at this particular moment, there is actually a significant debate in San Diego, the County of San Diego about uh, sand extraction. And there is a mine that has been proposed over the last few years uh, to mine uh, a, a part of land uh, in, in the County of San Diego that uh, would I think generate about 5 million tons or so over 10 years of sand that can be used for concrete applications. And, uh, and there's actually, um, it's going through the environmental reviews right now. It sounds like there's actually a lot of pushback from local residents, concerns about health in terms of the impact of extractive methods on the watersheds, as well as silica dust in the air. And so they're still going through the environmental review process, but it seemed really topical uh, to the work that we're doing, right? Uh, the conversation that we had about how can we best make uh, sand mining or sand utilization as, as environmentally friendly as possible. And it seems like there's a lot of pushback from the communities on the work that's being done right now. Um, so that, that seems interesting to learn. Obviously that would be used for local concrete applications. Uh, on a different note, having so many beaches, um, actually what we found is that, I found is that a lot of sand uh, for beach, just uses of, usage of beach is actually dredged from the local lagoons. Um, and a lot of it actually comes from the erosion of cliffs and a sandstone. We have a lot of sandstone in the area. So that's where that sand comes from. But obviously there are different grades of sand uh, that are used for different applications. One is obviously for beaches, the other is for aggregates or construction or other materials. So there seems to be a different portfolio of, of where these materials can come from. Um, but it is a hot topic right now. So that was interesting to learn about. And I'll, I'll keep you posted as, as how this environmental review proceeds. Uh, and whether or not the Board of Supervisors votes on it. I imagine given uh, California's environmental review processes, this will probably take many months, if not years, so to continue. So um, anyway, thanks for listening to the episode and uh, hope you have a good week. We'll talk soon. Thanks.